0: Thanks, Rob. It's good to be here this morning. Um, Last time, I think it's been a while since I stood up in front of a crowd this big to have an extended amount of time to talk. And uh, that was at a banquet where I was trying to raise $40,000. So I hope you brought your wallets. So in my almost 18 years at YSC, I've become much less shy about asking for money. So that might hinder our relationships. I'm not sure. But uh, it's just part of the gig. Uh, as, uh, as Rob said, I'm the Executive Director at YFC Steinbeck. I've been in that position for about seven and a half years, but I've been with the organization for almost 18. I started back in uh, 2004, and so August will be 18 years. I did first drop-in ministry, and then uh, while I was in drop-in ministry, I saw a need for youth having a, needing a place to stay. We would get youth coming after drop-in and saying, hey, like, I don't have anywhere to go, can you help me with that? And so from there, we developed a youth housing program that we had for about five and a half years that was for youth that were homeless or at risk of becoming homeless. And uh, we had that for about five and a half years. And at some point, we decided it was led by the Lord for us to shut that down and focus our energy elsewhere. So I shifted back into drop-in and then eventually into the executive director role. And so lots of great stories, lots of hard stories from those experiences But we get an opportunity at YFC to really connect with uh, young people in our community that don't have a lot of support and a lot of stability. Uh, And it can be heartbreaking, uh, but it can be really rewarding too when we see fruit and uh, things start to grow like that. Our chapter's been here since uh, 1989. I just met Jim Harms' cousin uh, this morning, uh, Cornelius. Uh, And Jim's been the one who started the chapter and he's still with us. Uh, uh, today. So he's still doing f- uh, fundraising for us and, and helping us do networking and connecting and that sort of thing. And so it's blessed to be able to, as Will talked about legacy, be a part of that legacy of, of starting up this ministry in town and walking that through, being able to continue to impact young people in our community for Christ. Our mission or vision at YC is to see every young person living fully in Christ. Now That's a big vision, uh, but we can't do it alone. And so we have volunteers. We have staff. There's 10 of us, three of which attend this church. Myself, Ashley, and Taylor. You'll have seen us all up here at some point in time already, I hope, because we've been trying to be really intentional with Calvary about, hey, how can we partner together and uh, outreach into the community more? I know when Calvary moved downtown here, that was a big heart of theirs and the conversation just now about Vince. That heart continues to be seen, so I'm really excited about that and the opportunities that will come from being so close to where we minister just across the street. And I hope that many of you come and join us for lunch afterwards, see the building. Uh, we also have two board members that attend Calvary, Lisa Clark and Ray Chapman. Uh, if you do come over to the building, it was renovated in 2019, and you might uh, notice some similarities in the design because we had the same designer. Uh, and so come check it out. Uh, we are really, really... It was great, actually, because Lisa did the design work for us, and I was stressing through the whole time. It has to be durable and cleanable. I don't care how it looks, it has to be durable and cleanable. I'll let the looks be up to her. Uh, and so far, so good. And, uh, and from there, she just kept saying, oh, we need a place. This is such that our, so good that our youth will have the best place in town. Well, that's the person I want on my board. So uh, we're, we're pleased to have both her and Ray as part of the team, too. My heart is this morning for us to take a look at a passage that uh, is about a man finding freedom and coming to faith. And uh, having his sins forgiven and then walking away. It's the story of the paralytic and from Mark chapter 2. It's a significant encouragement to me every time I read it and something that is uh, just very powerful me, for me uh, when I do. So let's read the word Mark 2. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors. That there was no more room, even even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, "My child, your sins are forgiven." But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, "What is he saying? This is blasphemy." Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers, They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Jesus, I just ask as we navigate this story this morning that you would open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to uh, our part to be played in this and to your role in this and what that looks like, Jesus. And so uh, bless this time and uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. Like I said, this is... uh, and an encouraging or inspiring story to me, and there's a lot going on in the scene. You have Jesus coming back from uh, being on ministry and on tour, healing, casting out demons, that sort of thing, classic Jesus stuff. And then he comes back and continues to do those things, not so much the miracles in this scene, but uh, at the beginning at least, but preaching. And word is spread that Jesus is back in town, and so people are showing up at the house, and they've packed it out um, more growth there than Calvary's experienced in the last couple of months, right? Like there was no room in the inn and four guys show up and they decide they want to bring their friend who's been paralyzed his whole life to Jesus and the, and the room is full. And now I just use the word friend because I really think that these four guys were friends to this paralytic. It is either one of history's most, you know, first recorded or most random acts of kindness where they just picked up some dude off the ground and said, hey, we'll take you to this house party where Jesus is at. Or they knew this guy, they knew his burdens, they knew his hurt, they knew his brokenness, they knew his desire to be healed, and so they brought him along because they had hoped that maybe this Jesus guy that they heard about could actually do that, that thing, could heal him. Also, when I'm reading a story and I'm really trying to immerse in it, I, I get distracted really easily. I'll read a book, I'll put it down. If it's not where I put it down before, I'm not going to read it again. So I need to kind of try and immerse myself in the story. Uh, and so then I give certain characters names so that I can just really engage. And so we have the four friends, and we got Matt, for obvious reasons, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So there might be some more Matt jokes. I don't know. I'm not talking about you, Matt, but it might come. I'm not sure yet. But the paralyzed guy on the mat, it's just my brain works that way. Uh, I'm sure some of you can appreciate it as well. And and so we have, we have Matt being carried by his four friends to Jesus. <laughs> And uh, they get there, the house is full, there's no room, they can't even get up close, and they're, they're deterred and they walk away, right? No, that's not what the story tells us. Instead, they get motivated to get their friend to Jesus, and so they find an alternative route. They take the stairs or the ladder or whatever would have been on the side of the house, uh, and they start to dig a hole in a roof. Now, if this roof were to suddenly open up and someone were to come down, it would be very shocking. Uh, it would be pretty quick. I mean, with enough pressure, glass breaks pretty fast. I might think that something else is going on. Maybe we were being raided. I don't know. Uh, but it would be a little traumatizing, and it would be a little concerning. And everybody's like, maybe that'll happen. I don't know yet. Uh, I wonder if a big hail could fall through that. Uh, no. But uh, that would be a pretty quick process here, actually. But a roof that's made of, like, plaster and and straw and stuff like that, it wouldn't break just by a quick stomp. Like, they would have had to be pounding on this thing. And so Jesus is preaching The gospel, and people are gathered inside the roof. It starts to hammer and shake, and dust starts to fall, and eventually chunks of this homemade mortar and plaster, and then there's a hole, and it's quiet. And then this guy gets lowered down on a mat in front of Jesus. Jesus looks up and says, or it says, seeing their faith. They hoped that their friend could be healed by Jesus. That's why they brought him there. They'd heard about these miracles. They'd heard about these things, and so they'd hoped for that. And so they actually put feet and hands to their hope. There was an action component to their faith that they brought along. And so Jesus saw that. And then he begins to engage with the man and then the crowd. And, and that's where we see Jesus put uh, the proof in the pudding, walk the walk and talk the talk. He'd done these miracles. People had heard about it. Uh, and then people are questioning in their hearts, especially the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Who can say that? Who can really do that? That's blasphemy. But Jesus then goes on to prove, hey, like I know what you're thinking. Which, is, which of these is easier? And so then he proves that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. And from that point on, people go bonkers. This turns into a real house party because they said, we've never seen anything like this before. And they start praising and exclaiming um, that, that. They praise God over that because the man picks up his man and walks out of the room. Crazy story. I love it because a man goes from being stuck where he was to walking away in freedom and in life. And there's a process involved in that. I love the pieces, I love the players, I love the people, and there's a lot for us to learn here. We have Jesus being Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all, always is, always will be, and always has been. And so, yeah, exactly. We need to not forget that. It's about Jesus, it's not about us. Uh, But we have a role to play. We have the mat bearers, we have Matt's friends uh, as well who are involved in this thing. And I did joke to Darian earlier that maybe we'd get Matt up here and Darian and Greg and Rob and Will and we'd have a, you know, kind of a skit or something, but I figured that might get a little dangerous. I'm not sure if insurance covered that, but uh, uh, we'll skip that part. You can just envision that. So we have a role to play as well, and then we have to consider cost and look at the payoff as well. And so those are the things I'm going to talk about. Back in the day, in the 90s, when I was a younger person, there was this song by a band called Lifehouse. The song was called Everything. And uh, I think actually in the old Calvary building, the youth group did a skit to this song. Uh, It's a powerful skit about uh, Jesus' sacrifice for us and, and salvation and stepping and standing in the gap for us. But in that song, there's a line of, how can I draw near to you and not be moved by you? Very, very powerful line. It reminds me of Jesus all the time. Because I think at a very base level, these four guys, Matt's four friends, knew that if we could get Matt to Jesus, then something would change. Something would have to change. Something would be different. By what they heard, by what they knew in their hearts, just at a base level, they knew this. And for those of us that are believers that follow Jesus, we know this too because of the experience we've had in our lives. That if we have drawn closer to Jesus things have changed. As we willingly step closer, things peel away. We continue to be made new again and again. But it's not just here we see in Scripture. We have Mark 5, 1 to 20, where we see the story of Legion, a man so messed up by the, the possession in his life and different things like that, that no matter what they tried, they couldn't do anything for him, and they kind of left him to roam the cemeteries. And then Jesus shows up, and his life is transformed. It's different. It's never the same again. And that transformation is so powerful that people are like, Jesus, can you leave, please? You're freaking us out with what you've done here. And I think that's an important thing because our lives can change so drastically sometimes that our relationships can change and stuff like that. And that's part of the process of transformation. But we also have the woman in the crowd who touched Jesus' cloak, and she was healed from an ailment she had for 12 years. And her thought process was, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, if I've heard about these things. If I could just touch the hem of his robe, then maybe I would be healed. Maybe my life would be changed. And that's exactly what happened for her. She was never the same again. A couple of weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago maybe, Taylor was up here and she was sharing about a young man that had been coming to our center for a while. And we first met him, he was he comes from a Buddhist family, but he would have been about as atheist in his conversation as you could get. And if you gave him the opportunity and engage with him, he would debate and discuss with you, and not in a mean or nasty way, but in, he would love to challenge and talk about atheism and God not being real and that sort of thing. But as we did that, as one of our staff in particular walked with him and engaged in those conversations, wasn't afraid to talk about what that was like, you know, what he thought about that, and, and be challenged on his own faith, uh, but also spend time with him, build a relationship with him, engage with him in other ways. Eventually, that young man gave his life to Jesus, and then got baptized on March 27th of this year. You know, how can you draw near to him and not be changed in my life, right? That's who Jesus is. That's Jesus' role in this process, in this story. He's the one that transforms. You know, he's the ultimate transformer. I used to think it was Optimus Prime, but it's it's Jesus. Thank you. Some of you are about as old as I am and get that, so that's good. Uh, he still is, you know, the greatest Autobot, but Jesus is the best transformer. But sometimes we confuse uh, our role with what Jesus' role is. You know, when I, when I look at Scripture uh, and, it, and we're told to make, you know, imitations of Christ, and it's really easy for me to want to make imitations of me because I have more control over that. But again, that's probably more terrifying for all of you if there's more of me out there. Uh, but that's, that's what we want to do. We want to make people become like us in their walk as they draw closer to Jesus because it's easier. We understand it. It's more controllable. Uh, we don't let the Holy Spirit go to work that way, though. That's Jesus' role through the transformation. Our role is to be map bearers and get Matt to the feet of Jesus. And that's exactly what his friends did. They understood that to some level, again, that if we could just get our friend to the feet of Jesus, things would change. So they got their hands dirty and they picked him up and they carried him there. You know, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four 34 to 40, Jesus is asked, What's the greatest commandment? And he sums it up. Uh, all the Ten Commandments up with the statement that to love God with everything you are, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I love that last piece, because that's what these guys were living out, that last piece, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's also yourself in there. We do need to love ourselves, know who we are in Christ, uh, and, and approach things that way. But we need to love our neighbors. We need to go out there and be the hands and feet of Jesus, praying for them, encouraging them, Uh, communicating with them, you know, and I think Vince gets this, you know, it's his heart for uh, summer in the city this weekend. Um, So in performing this action, they were being those hands and feet, and Jesus talks about in Matthew 25 as well, and he's referring to the end times about how you bless someone in need, you actually blessed me as well. And so again, by loving our neighbors, we're actually worshiping the Lord, we're worshiping Jesus, it's an act of service and glory and worship to him. So what does that look like? Well, these guys did a very physical thing. They picked up their friend, they brought him to Jesus, they carried him up on the roof, smashed a hole in the roof, lowered their friend down, and then they watched and they waited. But they didn't leave either. They were there. They watched and they waited. So there's a physical piece we can do. We can be there, we can show up, we can do those things. But we can pray for them as well. And I, I don't doubt that these guys didn't pray for their friend. And encourage him in that way as well throughout uh, their interactions and time with him. Um, we can share the gospel with our friends as well through word, through action, and letting them know how much that God loves them. When I talked about uh, loving yourself, you know, knowing who you are in Christ, that's important. It's so important to know that you're loved because so many people and people probably here in this room have lived a chunk of their life thinking I'm not that lovable, and we all will maybe have moments in that. Hey, oh man, because I did that, I'm not that lovable. That is so important and so key to growing in Christ, is knowing who you are and knowing that you're loved. A number of years ago, we were having a Bible study with YFC at one of our volunteers' houses, and we'd done this for a few weeks already, and then this young person showed up that none of us knew. He came with one of his friends. We'd never met him before, Uh, and he was certainly eccentric. He had all kinds of language that I cannot repeat here, Uh, but he showed up to this Bible study. He knew what he was coming to, and so we had a main talk, and then we split into small groups, and we talked about that. And one of our volunteers was leading his group. And uh, we were talking about Ephesians 2.10, how we're God's masterpiece, and he's delighted in making us. And, and so the leader was like, hey, do you know you're God's masterpiece? Did you know you're God's masterpiece? Did you know you're God's masterpiece? So when it got to him, he just had, an, again, an exclamation that I can't repeat, uh, and was shocked because no one had ever said that to him before, that he was worth something or he had value. That's really unfortunate. But that's the truth. We all have value. We're all important to Christ, and Jesus loves us so much. And so when we bring people to Jesus, that's one of the things that we communicate. Pre-COVID, one of our staff accompanied a young lady to court so that she could testify and share about the abuse that she had incurred in her life. Uh, A very traumatic time for her to to have initially, but to relive. And so the staff went along for moral support, to, just to be there to encourage and that was significant Well, I think we often underestimate our presence like these friends showed up, took Matt to the roof dug a hole and then they waited they didn't take off right away they stayed, they were there a presence is so important in someone's life and we don't know what else to do sometimes showing up is the best and easiest thing to do and sometimes we just need to shut up just be there that will have such an impact I want to fix people's problems so sometimes i got to remind myself nope, just shut it Stay there, listen. You know, how can I help? What can I do? So that young pers- our, our staff understood that they couldn't fix this person's problems. There was a lot of, a lot of abuse and issues that they'd have to work through. They couldn't take away that hurt and they couldn't take that away that pain, but they could be Jesus by being there and draw them a step closer to Jesus by doing that. Matt's friends knew that that was their role to play as well. They didn't just see him on the ground and say, Matt. Oh, Matt, Matt, you know, you're not doing so well. Can't help yourself. But I know this guy named Jesus. I know he can help you. So if you just get yourself to Jesus, man, you'll be a new person. No, Matt couldn't get himself to Jesus. He was paralyzed. Someone had to take him along and help him get there. There's a cost to this, though. Uh, In this story, I, I look at the humanness of this as I look in the story. And so if I'm the owner of this home and someone starts smashing a hole in my roof, I'm not really excited about this. <laughs> not at all, right? Uh, if someone were to smash through this roof now, someone has to pay for that roof. Someone has to fix that roof. Uh, and these guys were probably going to have to go to work or shell out some money in order to fix a roof. But they didn't care. There was a cost they were willing to endure. We don't know if they thought about it or not first, but they knew that there was going to be a cost afterwards. I think there was a social cost for them as well, because as we learn more about the Pharisees and the scribes, we see that they weren't very excited about the crowds that Jesus was gathering, the things he was saying, challenging their processes, the way we think and what was going on. And so they were listening and, and paying attention, and then this whole scene happens, the hole in the roof, and this forgiveness of sins, and Jesus is flexing his power. And uh, now these guys are kind of embarrassed and left with an egg on their face because like, he knew our thoughts and he challenged them this, what's up with that? If those four guys would have just left well enough alone... I wouldn't be sitting here like this, right? I can imagine there's some social ostraciza- ostracization, some, some kicking out of and, and being um, left alone that's going on there. So what kind of costs get in the way of us? Sometimes we say it's too uncomfortable. Um, I'm scared. I don't know how to do it. There's too many mosquitoes to walk up and down Main Street next weekend. That might be true. But put on a long sleeve, some bug spray, you'll be good to go, Right? There's things that will get in the way and discourage us and challenge us. Uh, we can't let, them, can't let them get in the way of us. We want to justify ourselves out of it. It stops us dead in our tracks sometimes. Uh, sometimes that cost is inconvenience. You can be busy doing something and you get a phone call. Oh, this person's in need. Oh, well, kind of interrupts my rhythm of my day. Our staff at YFC have had numerous phone calls at 3 a.m. in the morning to walk alongside to walk alongside someone who's suicidal or just needs to talk. Or I've had a young person call me after we had it out. I, I remember one time we had a big explosion, me and this one young man. He wasn't following rules, he was being disrespectful and whatnot, uh, and it was not pretty. And so all week I'm just like dealing with him as he's pushing buttons, pushing buttons, pushing buttons. And then that Friday night, a long night of drop-in, I get home, finally crawl into bed. It's like an hour later, my phone rings, and it's him, and I just sit there for a second and I debate, do I want to answer this phone right now? After the week I've had with him, do I want to answer this phone right now? I answered the phone, and I was fairly curt with him, and he called and he apologized to me for everything that had been going on, and and I'm like, but that's not why you're calling me. Why are you calling me? He said that uh, my girlfriend just went into labor, and she's only 24 weeks, and I don't know what to do. What would you like me to do for you? Can you pray for me? I will pray for you. And so I spent some time praying for him, talked to him on the phone for a bit as he calmed down. Uh, she was being taken care of by doctors and whatnot, so she was in good hands already. Uh, but then about a week later, my phone rings again at this time of like 3, 3.30 in the morning. Uh, same number. I'm like, oh, man, it's 3.30 in the morning. I answer the phone, and he says, Hey, Ruben, it's me. I just want to let you know I'm a dad. So, Yeah. <clears throat> What a powerful thing to have someone call you and let you know that, hey, I'm a dad. He talked to his parents first and he gave me a call. Baby was all right, needed some extra care, but uh, he's a dad and I was one of the first people he called. So there's a cost, getting up early, you know, making, taking phone calls all night. I've, this same young man, I've I've had a phone call from him in the past where... He says, I'm not doing well. I have an extension cord tied around my neck into the rafter in my basement. And I said, will you be alive if I show up at your house in a few minutes? Do you promise me that? Yes. So I showed up at his house, and I took him out for coffee. I took him to the doctor. I did what we needed to do. Um, I think I got home at 8 in the morning, right? So there's a cost. It's inconvenient. It's a challenge. But we want to bring them one step closer to Jesus. We love them. We walk alongside them. That's not just our young people. That's people in our community. When we go outside these doors, that's the same thing. <clears throat> Jesus encountered that same struggle with cost, though, too, that we face all the time. Uh, when the rich man, young man, came along and said, "Hey, uh, what do I need to enter the kingdom of heaven? Get rid of it all. Make me your treasure." And he said, nope, can't do it, sorry. And he walked away discouraged. We can't let that be the case for us because that's part of being a human. Um, And I know some of us actually do this stuff really well, walking alongside those we love, caring for them, and uh, just being Jesus and bringing our friends and our loved ones and those around us closer to Jesus. But some of us, myself at times, you know, it's a struggle to want to give up Uh, my time and not be selfish and that sort of thing. And so it's a dying to self every day as we engage in that process. But the cost is worth it because there is a payoff. Like this young man calling me and telling me he's a dad. Or like Matt, getting freedom, being able to walk for the first time in your life. I have no idea what that's like. I've been walking my whole life. But I do know what it's like to meet Jesus and how my life changed. So do many of us. Why don't we share that with those around us? We want those people to come to Jesus around us too, right? <clears throat> we are, live in a world where investing is just a thing we do. Like when we had kids, we got these RESPs and we're investing RSPs, in RESPs and we do RSPs at work for, you know, basically our retirement plans. And so we take this money that we have now, we put it in the bank and we let it ride the waves, right? Ups and downs, ups and downs. Uh, and I was actually talking uh, just Friday night here the drop-in. I was learning about cryptocurrency and investing that from a couple of our youth. I don't understand that stuff. I don't know how you can just say, hey, I'm going to make, I don't know, something on the internet or wherever that is, and it's worth something now. How come I didn't think of that, right? Uh, now Bitcoin's, I don't know, like 50,000 bucks or something ridiculous like that. So, uh, but people are willing to take startup money, dump it into a fund, let it ride the waves. It'll have its ups and downs and that sort of thing. in the hopes of a long-term payoff, right, of, oh, we're going to get rich later on or we're going to be set for retirement and that sort of thing. And it's that same principle of investment that we need to adapt and put into the people in our community. We need to be willing to take the resources and the energy that we have now and dump them into our family, our friends, our loved ones, the people we meet, uh, and then ride the waves because there's going to be waves. There's going to be a lot of them. Uh, some days more than others, but there's going to be waves. And sometimes it's going to look like our stock is just tanking. Like, oh, man. like, And then the temptation is to pull that stock out and forget about it, right? No, let's keep riding that wave. Because, again, the payoff is huge when you have a life transformed. Like, there's just nothing, nothing worth more than that. But in this story, not only do we have that payoff, we also have the payoff of glory given to God. Because at the end, when he picks up his mat and he walks out the door... Then we see people just get like, wow, we have never seen anything like this before. And they praise God, and and it turns into a praise and worship session. Uh, my hope and prayer is that that statement would turn from, we have never seen anything like this before, to, oh yeah, that happens all the time. It's super exciting, right? Instead of, wow, like, we've never seen anything like this, this before. And I think that sensation sometimes is a little too common still nowadays, like, we should get excited when someone gives their life to Jesus and their tra- their lives transformed, and that should never change no matter how common it is, but it's just not common enough sometimes. And we, just, we need to draw people closer to Jesus more and more so the glory is his, because it's not about me, it's not about any of you, it's about him, and how do we help people get to his feet. So my hope, and maybe Ben, you guys can come up now too, but uh, my hope is that as you engage in this passage in another time or you leave from here, that uh, you think about these, these things, and how can you see the people in our community or in your life that you can just bring one step closer to Jesus, helping them to see him and be transformed in him? Because how can you draw near to him and not be moved by him? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for who you are and uh, what you've done in my life and the lives of many people here, and what you continue to do in that Please continue to inspire us and encourage us to be people who draw other people closer to you, to be mat bearers, bringing our friends to the feet of Jesus, even if it means going through some tough stuff to do it. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for taking that first step, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.